All right, folks, we're in lesson 23 uh, this morning, uh, Acts chapter 11. We're going to look at verses 1 through 18, and we're going to continue right along uh, with what happens after probably the most significant event for you and I in that the Gentiles come to faith. And so we're going to see what the reaction is of the Jerusalem church to the Gentiles coming to faith. And I'll be just be honest with you, it isn't pretty. It isn't good. It's a negative reaction. And we're going to find that that actually is very typical of things, even to this day, when God moves in a mighty way, you're going to find that not everybody is happy about it or will be happy about it. Not everybody responds in a good way. So we're going to look today at the negative reaction that's going to happen to Peter because of the news of the Gentiles coming to faith. So if you have your Bibles, we're looking at Acts chapter 11. First of all, let's look at verses 1 to 3. Now the apostles and brethren who were in Judea heard the Gentiles, had also received the word of God, And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those of the circumcision contended with him, saying, you went in to uncircumcised men and ate with them. Okay, so let's look first of all at the accusation, the accusation. So we see that the believers and the apostles in Judea heard that the Gentiles responded to the gospel. So word gets out that... Gentiles have responded to the gospel, and that gets back to Jerusalem. It's not probably, just probably a day or so's journey from Jerusalem. They would get there, and the news gets ahead of Peter of what's going on. Now, when Peter gets to Jerusalem, when Peter went to Jerusalem, the Judaizers argued with him. Now, let me explain to you, first of all, what a Judaizer is. A Judaizer is a Jewish Christian who believes that in order for someone to come to salvation, come to faith in Christ, come to redemption, they have to observe the Mosaic law. Basically, they have to become a Jew in order to become a believer in Jesus Christ in order to experience salvation that is offered through Jesus. And what we see happening here is says that as soon as Peter gets back to Jerusalem, these folks start to argue with him, start to confront him about what's going on. You know, some some folks believe that actually what's happening here is these Judaizers were more than likely Pharisees at one time who came to Christ. So therefore, They had a high view of the law, high view of being Jewish, and they felt very much so that they needed to see this being imposed on the Gentiles. And we're going to see later as we go through Acts that this is a problem from this point on that the churches are going to have is these Judaizers coming among them and imposing these values that they had to keep the Mosaic law on the churches. So we see this all the way up here, right after Gentiles come to faith, and we see this taking place here. 
So what I want you to notice is, is Judaizers were Jewish Christians who stressed the keeping of the Mosaic law. We've already mentioned that. They confronted Peter for visiting a Gentile home and eating with them. Remember what I told you? A good Jew, a practicing Jew, a, a very much a Jew who was interested in their cleanliness as far as being in part of the public worship, going to the temple, would not have any contact with Gentiles because Gentiles were considered unclean. Not just because of their uncircumcision, not just because of uh, their the food they ate, was also because of their paganism, worshiping idols, also because of their general lifestyle. Everything about a Gentile was considered unclean. And so, therefore, it was forbidden for Jews to go into their homes and to eat with them. They wouldn't eat with them. In fact, remember, when we looked at chapter 10, Peter basically said that. Peter, when he's talking to Cornelius, says, you know it is unlawful for me to be here. So Peter knew that from the very beginning. And so here these Judaizers are basically upset with Peter because he's he's basically has associated with those folks. He's basically associated with those folks. Now, again, this incident marks the first appearance of a problem that will affect the Gentile churches. From this point on, we're going to see that as folks travel from the Jerusalem church out with among the Gentile churches, they're going to come into their gatherings and they're going to stress to them that there needs to be an observance of the law. Basically, that they have to become Jewish. And in fact, the males have to be circumcised in order to ensure that they are saved, that they are have experienced salvation. And this is going to be a problem. It's basically a problem up until about, which is a major turning point in church history, up until about A.D. 70. Anybody have a clue why A.D. 70? A.D. 70 is when Jerusalem and the temple were destroyed by Rome, by the Romans. And from that point on, the Jew, the church becomes from that point on, the church becomes less Jewish and more Gentile. The focus shifts to where it's a Gentile church now. And because of that, the problems that the church will have later are going to be problems that come out of their Gentile Greek background rather than from a Jewish background, which is what the issue here with keeping the Mosaic law. Now, let's stop for a moment. We need to talk about this for a moment. We're looking at... I think I got to make a couple of points here. Number one, you know, I think I need to make the point about the issue of problems in church. Remember, we've already talked about this once before when the dispute happened between the Hellenistic Jews and the Jews of Palestine concerning whether or not the Hellenistic widows were getting served at the benevolence tables and so forth. We see that problems are indicative in a church. Problems are a part of church, period. Here we see another problem rising up. This one has to do with who's allowed in the church, who's allowed in the family of God. And, and so I, I want, just so that we don't, so that we don't 
operate under this wrong conclusion that churches aren't supposed to have problems, we need to see that churches do have problems. In fact, as we move from this point on, we're going to see other problems. We're going to see, again, a problem that rises out of this issue when they have the first church council in Jerusalem. We're also going to see that there's going to be a dispute later on between two two people who are serving the Lord. Church Problems in church are normal. The issue is how do you handle them? Problems in church are normal. The issue is how you handle them. That's the first thing I want you to see here. Second thing I want you to see here is this. The struggle that's going on here in this passage about including Gentiles into the family of God, that problem, even though the particulars of the problem have changed, that problem still exists in church today. Today. Why? Because... The fact of the matter is, is that we tend to only like or reach out to people who are like us. And we have a tendency to think that in order for people to become Christians, they have to become like us. And the reality is, is that God saves whoever he wants, and they don't have to become like you. In fact, you imposing on anyone a criterion for them to meet in order for them to come to salvation, is wrong, and can I say even heretical. Heretical. Because the reality is, is what we see here, is that's the problem they had there. How should Gentiles be able to come to God? Through faith, period. We're going to see that. Through faith. God saves them because of faith. Just because somebody's skin color, economic situation belief system, nationality, whatever, is different than yours, does not mean that they have to become like you in order to become a believer in Jesus Christ. We see that here. It's it's very evident here. And that's going to be a problem that the church struggles with throughout the early church up until the time of about A.D. 70 when Jerusalem and the temple are destroyed. But it's also a problem that we see very much so in the world today, within the church, where we have this concept that they have to become like us, like us. So notice now, verses 4 through 17, we're going to see how Peter responds to this. So look with me in your Bibles. Look with me at verse 4. But Peter explained to them an order from the beginning, saying, I was in a city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision an object descending like a great sheet, let down from heaven by four corners, and it came to me. When I observed it intently and considered, I saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, eat and kill. But I said, Not so, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has at any time entered my mouth. But the voice answered me again, but the voice answered me again from heaven, what God has cleansed, you must not call common. Now this was done three times, and all were drawn up again into heaven. At that very moment, three men stood before the house where I was, having been sent to me from Caesarea. Then the Spirit told me to go with them, doubting nothing, 
Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen an angel standing in his house who said to him, Send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who will tell you words by which you and all your household will be saved. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them as upon us at the beginning. Then I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If therefore God gave them the same gift as he gave us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I should, who was I that I could withstand God? Okay, let's look at this together. First of all, Peter's going to start from the business. Okay, guys, I know you're upset, but here's the scoop. Here's the story. Here's what happened. So he kind of goes through it with them. Peter explained to them the events from the beginning. Peter explained to them the events from the beginning. He's got to tell them the whole story so that they understand what happened because it's the whole story that Peter experienced that brought him to the place of being able to go into Cornelius' house in the first place to be able to share with them the gospel so that they could respond and be saved. So he's got to explain the events from the beginning. Peter explained that he saw a vision of a sheet filled with animals descending from heaven. So again, he's explaining now a second time. Remember the first time he explained it, he shared it with Cornelius and those who were gathered with him. This time, Peter's explaining it to the Jews in Jerusalem, those who are part of the Jerusalem church. Look, guys, I was sitting praying on top of this roof, and I saw a vision. In a vision, I saw this sheet come down from heaven filled with all kinds of animals, unclean animals from all over the world. He explained that he objected to the command to kill and eat the animals. He said, look, a voice from heaven said, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, no way. I'm a good Jew. I've never done anything like that. So he explains again what happened there. He told him no. And he objected to the command to eat these unclean animals. He's saying, guys, I'm just like you. I wouldn't even have thought of it. But here's what he says. He was told by a voice not to object to that which God has cleansed. He was told by a voice, the voice from heaven said to him, don't object or don't call unclean what God has cleansed. So once again, he's saying this a second time now, he's explaining God is pointing out a principle here to him that he's not to object to what God has cleansed, to what God is cleaning. So that's the reality there. Here's what goes on then. Peter states that this took place three times before the sheet was taken up. This happened three times. Why three times? Well, it's so that he pays attention to what's happening on. It's like, you know, I told you the last time we gathered, I said, you know, if I tell my sons, one of my boys, I say, hey, I want you to take the garbage out. A few minutes later, I say, hey, I want you to take the garbage out. Make sure you get everything. Get it out to the road. It's garbage day. If I tell him a third time, look, I want you to be sure that nothing's left in the garage, that you got all the garbage out to the road. Do you think I'm trying to get his attention about taking the garbage out? Yeah. In fact, if he doesn't do it, he doesn't really have an excuse now because I've told him three times. Peter's being told here three times in this vision 
not to call unclean what God has considered clean. Peter's grasping what's going on here. Now, from there he says, look, I had this visit. Peter states that at the same time of the vision, three men came from Caesarea. Peter states that at the same time of the vision, three men from Caesarea came seeking him. So he says, look, guys, talk about coincidence. About this time I was having this vision, wondering what in the world's going on. There's a knock at the door, and there's these three guys from Caesarea looking for me. Looking for me. And and then he said the Holy Spirit told him to go with the men and doubt nothing. He said at that same moment, I'm being told there's three dudes down at the door. The Holy Spirit speaks to me and says to me, look, go with them. Don't doubt anything. Don't doubt anything. What's going on here? God is confirming what is happening here. God is reassuring Peter what's happening here is a God thing. And that's what he's communicating to those Jews there in Jerusalem. Then he states, Peter states that he accompanied, he was accompanied, Peter states that he was accompanied by six Christian men. Peter states that he was accompanied by six Christian men. In fact, the text tells you that basically when Peter refers to these six Christian men, he says, they're right here with me. Isn't that interesting? It's not just Peter's word now validating what happened among the Gentiles. There are six other Jewish believers there who witnessed it with Peter to validate what God did. Isn't that amazing how God works that out to deal with issues, to deal with problems? Peter states that he was accompanied by six Christian men. Now, they make their visit to the Gentiles. And he says this, that Cornelius the centurion stated that the angel appeared to him and told him to send for Peter. So Cornelius, when Peter shows up, basically, we already know this story is telling Peter why in the world he sent the three men. It's because of an angel. Cornelius then stated that the angel told him that Peter would tell him the words for salvation. So he's supposed to send for Peter. Now we are told by Cornelius that the angel told him that Peter would tell him the words for salvation. So notice now we're going to see there verses 15 through 17. What happens when Peter speaks? Peter stated that as he spoke, the Holy Spirit fell upon them as he did at Pentecost. In fact, if you notice what it says there, verse 15, as I began to speak. If you look back at the passage, it seems like he's got a pretty good message there. But Peter says, basically, that's the beginning of my message. That's at the beginning of my message. The Holy Spirit fell on them. The Holy Spirit came upon them. They got saved. And he came upon them just like he did with us at Pentecost, he's saying to those Jews. Just like we experienced the baptism of the Spirit in Pentecost in a powerful way, they experienced the same baptism. While I was speaking, I didn't even get a chance to finish my sermon. I didn't get a chance to finish my message. They believed and responded, and God fell on them. Basically, this is another fulfillment of Joel chapter 2, verses 28 through 32. What's happening here is another fulfillment 
of the prophecy in Joel that we see in chapter 2, verses 28 through 32. And then here's what Peter says. Peter stated that he remembered the words of Jesus concerning the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He remembered the words of Jesus concerning the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He Basically, he remembered those words because they are a validation of the fact that the Gentiles came to faith. That the Gentiles came to faith because they were baptized with the Holy Spirit. They were baptized with the Holy Spirit. So then he looks at these Jewish believers there who are confronting him. He looks at the church there in Jerusalem, and he poses a question. Peter poses the question, can they oppose God for doing what he did for them? Look, do you, I mean, basically, you almost hear what Peter's saying. Look, do you really want to argue with God about who he saves? Do you really want to argue with God that he would do for this other group that you don't like the same thing that he did for you? See, that's something we've got to wrestle with here. You know, we get caught up in our culture in disliking this people group. We don't like Muslims because of radical Islam. We don't like this. We don't like the immigration issue, blah, blah, blah. We can go on and on and talk about we don't like people who are on welfare. We don't like people who are in management. We don't like the rich, blah, blah, blah. We can go on and on and on. And and the reality is, listen to me, every one of them needs Jesus. Every one of them needs Christ. And are we going to be resentful that salvation is available to them just like it is to us? I mean, think about it for a moment. We are not the first group of people that were reached out to through the centuries as the gospel spread. Aren't you glad that the gospel spread to our ancestors here in America, in Europe, so that, because that's primarily most of us here are European, Aren't you glad that the gospel spread to us that nobody thought, well, we can't spread it with those folks because they got a problem? No. See, this is the point that Peter is arguing here. Can you oppose God for doing what he did for them? Good question, isn't it? I want you to look now at verse 18 because here we're going to see the assessment. Here we're going to see the response of the church in Jerusalem, the response of those who are hearing what Peter is sharing. Here's the response of those to the news that the Gentiles has come, have come to faith. Here's what I want you to see. When they heard these things, they became silent, and they glorified God, saying, then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. Look at that. Then God also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. Here's what I want you to see. The initial response to Peter was silence. The initial response to Peter and his story, the initial response to the news that Gentiles are coming to faith in Jesus Christ and experiencing salvation and have been baptized with the Holy Spirit was silence. They had to stop for a moment. They didn't, they didn't yell out, oh, well, great, wonderful. No, they had to ponder this because look, they're being stretched. This is stretching them. And they're being silent. But then notice 
they then responded by glorifying God for granting repentance to the Gentiles. The next thing they did, after they took a time to think about it and were silent about it, they gave God the glory. God, you are awesome because you even granted repentance to those that we never thought would be accepted by you, the Gentiles. The Gentiles. Now, let me just stop for a moment. I think it's interesting. I think you need to pay attention to what verse 18 is saying. The text makes it very clear that in the issue of salvation, who takes the initiative in coming to repentance here? Is it, the, is it those who respond to the gospel or is it God? Is it those who respond to the gospel or is it God? I think we see here that it's God. God is the one who grants to people repentance. God is the one who grants to people repentance. Now, let me explain to you. This, this affects how I pray for people, for my, for people that I love, people that I'm friends with, people that don't know the Lord Jesus. This is how I pray for them. Number one, I, I pray that God would open their eyes. Open their eyes to their need for Jesus Christ, for the truth. I pray, second of all, that God would bring them to their senses because their minds are futile in their thinking. They're deluded by pride and selfishness and sin that God would bring them to a place where they would understand that he would would open their hearts and their minds to the truth. And then, number three, I say, God, bring them to repentance. Show them their need for Jesus and that they need to make a change. Grant to them repentance so that they can accept Christ by faith. That's very much, I think, a biblical concept of how to pray, simply from texts like this that show us very clearly that God is the one who grants repentance to Gentiles. Next week, we're going to see that the gospel now spreads out of Palestine, out of Judea and Samaria, Galilee area. It's now going to spread out into into what we know as a modern-day Turkey, up to Antioch. And we're going to see the spread of the gospel there next week as we look at the rest of chapter 11.